Afternoon, folks. This is Dave, and it's a uh, stormy afternoon here in Naples, Florida. But I want to welcome you to the next installment of the Am I Called podcast. And helping me co-host today is Jamin Stinziano. In fact, Jamin just returned from his short vacation with his family. Where were you guys, Jamin? We were in Siesta Key up near Sarasota. Siesta Key. Well, welcome back. Thanks. Jamin, I've really been looking forward to this particular interview because joining us today is Trip Lee. And many people know Trip as kind of an award-winning, critically acclaimed hip-hop artist, but Trip is also a pastor. And more recently, he has written a book. The book is titled Rise. And then the subtitle is Get Up and Live in God's Great Story. And uh, if you're listening here and you're wondering whether this book is worth reading, John Piper certainly thinks so because John Piper wrote the foreword. So, so Tripp, thanks for agreeing to join us and to talk a little bit about your, your life and your writings. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay, so give us a little bit of bio. You know, born and raised where? Born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Grew up there in Dallas met Jesus in Dallas when I was about 14 years old. And Dallas is also kind of where I, you know, fell in love with music. My dad was a big music lover and introduced me to lots of music and fell in love with hip hop. And uh, so Dallas is where uh, everything started from. And you were in Baptist church, is that right? My parents went to a, a big Baptist church. Of course, everything's big in Texas. You know, it was one of many mega churches in that same area, kind of contemporary black Baptist church that, that preached the gospel. That's where I met Jesus, where I first heard of Jesus. Okay, so you're going to a contemporary black Baptist church, and yet you're beginning to feel these stirrings to write and perform hip hop. Tell us a little bit about what's going on, like in your life, in your heart. What kind of experiences were you having that was pushing that creative impulse forward? Yeah, well, I mean, when I was really young, I tried to do everything that I loved, which I guess kids try to do. You know, I love sports. So I was trying to play a sport I liked and also really loved music. And so, from, you know, when I was really little, like 10 or 12, you know, I was trying to start writing music. You know, I think I wrote some R&B songs first, and those were terrible, and I can't sing, so I'm glad I let that go. And then fell in love with hip-hop, and so I was rapping with my friends all the time in school, and we would pass around these little journals, writing raps, and I was battling people at lunchtime and all of that. And I meet Jesus when I'm 14 years old, and my life begins to change, and I'm, you know, I'm still struggling with the stuff that teenagers struggle with. And then I, you know, the Lord is drawing me closer to Himself, and I start to question everything about my life, including how I'm thinking about my music. I'm thinking about how should I interact with my parents now that I want to follow Jesus, and how should I interact with girls, and how should I think about music? And I just start trying to think about how to rap in a way that would actually honor God. And there were, you know, some groups I used to listen to around that time too, like the Cross Movement, which is probably the most influential on me. These guys who, one, were good and who rapped a lot about who God was and how we should live in light of it. And, and that music really did change my life and it gave me a category for being good at hip-hop and, you know, honoring Jesus in it. Were you writing during that time as well? I don't mean writing music or hip-hop, but I just mean, were you journaling? Did you feel the impulse to to write? That was actually one of the things that some people tried to push me towards because I always loved 
I loved to read and write when I was a really little kid, and then I hated school for a big chunk. I hated all things writing and reading. But then even, you know, throughout school, you know, teachers would tell me I was a good writer, and I was starting to journal after I became a believer and really liked kind of tracing out my thoughts and got to preach my first sermon when I was 17. So writing a sermon or two, you know, writing and kind of putting my thoughts down on paper was always a really big part of, of my life before I met Jesus and especially after I met him. So Trip, this is Jamin. You know, your story's obviously different than mine because of the experiences we come from, but I fell in love with Jesus when I was around 14 as well. You know, immediately knew I wanted to preach and, you know, wanted to be a part of ministry in some way. Didn't know what it looked like. For you, was it, I want to do music and if I get to preach, that's great? Or was it, man, I want to preach and if I get to do music, that's okay? Or, or did you just not even have a trajectory that you were heading toward? Yeah, sometimes it's hard to put myself back into how I thought about things in, but there was always this thing in me where it was hard for me to understand something in Scripture and not want to pass it on to people. And, you know, I had to be careful early on not to, you know, just want to learn stuff to pass it on to people. But, yeah, I kind of had this thing in me where I really wanted to help people grasp what I grasp in the Word. And so at that time, you know, music was what I was really chasing after. And so I was pouring a lot of that into my music. And when I preached my first sermon at 17, you know, me and my youth pastor had talked. And, you know, I think I had told him I felt called to do some kind of uh, ministry. And I don't really remember what I thought that meant at the time, but he gave me that opportunity. And so music really was my first love in terms of communicating truth. And then preaching came kind of after that. And, you know, the chances that I got early on, people would say, hey, we think you may be gifted to do that. So that was always something that was also in my mind. A lot of the rappers that I, you know, some of those rappers from Cross Movement, they were good preachers too. And so, you know, I wanted to be so much like them that, you know, preaching was something that was in my mind as a possibility. But it really wasn't until I was, I moved to Philadelphia to go to Bible college. I was part of a church plant there and was really part of the life of that church. And those pastors were giving me opportunities to preach God's word. The preaching began to be something that I really saw. Yeah, it's something that I should give a lot of time to because the Lord seemed to use it and I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, and it seemed like there was fruit from. What church was that in Philadelphia? That was Epiphany Fellowship. Oh, wonderful. I pastored up in Philadelphia for a number of years, so I'm familiar with some of the works down there. Have you gotten to go back and listen to that sermon from when you were 17? And was it as awesome as you remember? So I used to have audio of it. I think I lost it on a hard drive. Oh, man. The last time I heard it, maybe like six years ago, I couldn't even finish it. I'm like, man, this was not as incredible as I remember. <laughs> you know, one of the good things about that sermon is, you know, my youth pastor, you know, I had a lot of stuff I wanted to say. And I was like, I want to look at all these 97 texts. He was like, no, 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 why don't you pick one text? And why don't you kind of drill in on that? And, you know, even the senior pastor of the church sat down with me and looked over my manuscript. And, you know, the stuff that I learned from that first sermon that I still do today. So, you know, I was grateful for the pastors of that church pouring into me so much. You know, Tripp, as I was reading your book, I was just thinking, you know, early on in the book, it began to take shape. And, you know, that basically you were you were wanting to make this a kind of clarion call for your generation, or at least for millennials maybe, to reach for something better. What I began to wonder is, you know, what were you seeing? What were you experiencing maybe locally where you were living or in your travels that seemed to make that message so important, so compelling, so necessary right now? Well, part of it was the fact that the Lord did 
did say me at such a young age that I had to try to figure out how to navigate following Jesus. At the same time, I'm navigating all the stuff that teenagers navigate. Puberty, you know, interactions with girls, getting through school, all of that stuff, figuring out who you are. You know, it's hard to follow Jesus all the time at any age, in any stage of life. There are some uniquely hard things while we're young. And as I travel, you know, since I've been able to, for the last 10 years, travel all over the country and world, doing music and, and preaching and all kind of stuff, you know, I've just seen plenty of patterns, stuff that I saw that was difficult for me in following Jesus while I was young and with others. And so I really wanted to encourage people. There is this thing where not just, Young people, but people around young people just have these really low expectations for what happens in our lives while we're young. And I really wanted to say, hey, Jesus made you for his glory. And that doesn't start at some age. There's not some age where now your your life and decision making matters to Jesus. He made you. You're a person. He saved you for his glory. And, and that should start right now. Yeah, you called that you called that the LeBron James effect. What does that mean exactly? You know, well, I remember when LeBron James was, he was in high school, and there was all this hype about this high school kid and about how he was going to go to the NBA. And I thought, I've seen this story before. You know, it doesn't always work out that well, you know. And then, you know, in his first season, he played so amazing that I was just blown away. Here's this kid who's probably in algebra class last year, and his mom's doing his laundry, and here he is dunking on seasoned NBA players the very next year. So that, you know, if anybody does that, it's amazing. But the fact that this is 19-year-old kid doing it makes it even more amazing. And so what I was talking about with that is there's something especially glorifying to God when somebody who's young and when it comes from an unexpected place is living for the glory of Jesus. So it was a unique opportunity while we're young for people to see the power of the gospel. That This isn't just, you know, some guy who maybe got all of his craziness out and now that there's nothing left to do is submitted to Jesus. But right now in the peak seasons that people think of as people running away from Jesus, when the Lord grabs a hold of a heart, it really does say something powerful about the, the good news. There is a sense where I think people, our culture in general, tends to have low expectations of young people. And so it seemed like you were trying to challenge that assumption and say, let's elevate the bar a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Trip, with that, you know, you have Paul's charge to Timothy, you know, don't let anyone look down on you for your youthfulness. How do you champion what God might be doing in the heart of a, of a young person, maybe even someone who's listening to this? So God's doing something significant in their heart. They're young, obviously not very experienced, but still called to do whatever it is that the Spirit's put in their heart. So how do you temper the zeal that comes with that call and also the humility that comes with learning and waiting and, and walking in humility? You know, one of the things that, you know, the obstacles to really following hard after Jesus right now is there aren't a lot of examples. One of the things that was huge for me is I saw some dudes who were not that much older than me, who were dressed like me, who talked kind of like me, like the same music as me, and they were living for Jesus. And that was huge for me to see, like, oh, Jesus could do this in my life even right now. And then there was lots of space for humility that I needed. You know, I, I can think of plenty of, like, conversations I would have with people that I think back on and cringe because I think, man, I thought I was a lot wiser than I was. 
obviously there's a sense, you know, where, you know, Psalm 119, you know, your word has made me wiser than my teachers. You know, there's there's wisdom that comes from God's word. So people would always call me an old soul, really just because I wanted to sound like the Bible. But there was also a lot of need for humility, you know. While we're teenagers, our brains literally are not done developing. There's a lot of space to posture yourself as a learner. So that's what I tried to do, what I wish I would have done even more, but what I'm always encouraging people to do, posture yourself as a learner. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is a learner and a follower. And all over Scripture, the pattern for growing in Jesus is following the example not only of Jesus but following others as they follow Christ so I was always trying to run to more godly older believers and ask a trillion questions spend time with them learn from them as much as I could and one of the greatest gifts the Lord gave me early on in my walk with Jesus was mature believers who were willing to spend time with me and were willing to teach me and were willing to rebuke me and were willing to listen to my crazy questions and all of that I cannot express enough how, how grateful I am for the folks who gave time to me. So, you know, for young believers and for all believers, I'm always encouraging people, posture yourself as a learner. Seek out more than you seek out people, you know, to teach or win in a debate, seek out people to learn from. It's just invaluable for the faith of a disciple. As an older guy, I really appreciated that theme because I saw you strike that in a number of places throughout the book and I'm wondering, as you're talking to peers, Trip, do you find resonance with that theme as you're interacting with other leaders in your generation? You know, what, what kind of things do you think keep them from valuing age or valuing older saints? Well, I think one of the obstacles is that churches often are not talking about older Christians discipling younger Christians enough. Discipling is not a core value in too many of our churches. You know, there's maybe in some churches a high value on Sunday morning, but not really actual relationships. Or sometimes there's a high value on the event of a small group, but not so much the relationships that can be built there. So often people aren't looking for it because they don't really know it's a thing that should be happening. They say, oh, pastors of the church are the ones that are supposed to teach the word. And it's pastors who are supposed to do the counseling. It's pastors who encourage. So I go to my pastors, and other than that, it's just me and Jesus. Well, I think people don't have much of a category for no, no, discipling is the role of every member of every church. Teaching, and that doesn't mean, you know, preaching on Sunday morning, but pointing other people to the word. You know, we're all called to, you know, exhort one another, to teach one another, to encourage one another. This is what the Bible calls us to do as the body. And so I think for me as a pastor and for pastors everywhere, I want to encourage, hey, build a culture in your church where people expect that part of the responsibility is not just their spiritual growth, but the spiritual growth of others. So that people think, when I want to grow, I'm not just thinking about Sunday morning. I'm not just thinking about talking to the pastor. I'm thinking about seeking out other believers who can also teach me that I can learn from, that I can watch. Even as they struggle to follow Jesus themselves, I can watch the way a more mature believer walks through those things. So now, Tripp, as a as not only an artist, but also a pastor, uh, you have the responsibility to, you know, when you teach, to cast that vision over the people that, that are hearing what you're talking about. So what's that look like in your context to raise up disciples who make disciples who make disciples is there a process that you guys have or or obviously it's not a one two three fits all but what does that look like for you guys well that's one of the 
I'm a pastor of a new church plant. We we're just over two years old. Um, I'm one of four pastors, and in this first two years, and even in the you know the kind of period before we launched, that's been one of the primary things that we try to be very repetitive about and to drive home is helping people to re-see what they think a church member is, not just someone who shows up or whose name is just on a list, but it means this commitment we've made to each other. Uh, so one of the main things we're doing is we're being very repetitive. We're preaching about it often. We're talking about it to members often. We're also trying to look for people in life like church who are leaders, who seem to be disciples, who seem hungry for the word, so that we can model that by discipling them so that they pour into others. You know, there's, there's uh, one point early on we kind of chose out the folks who seem like leaders and who seem like the folks who could pass down the DNA. And we went through a book with them that we love called Trellis in the Vine. That's about kind of this word ministry in the life of a church through every member. We took everybody through that and we had small groups based on that. We used that to train our small group leaders. So there have been some more programmatic things we've done like that. And then there's been more organic pouring into leaders to try to put that DNA in them preaching it uh, in God's word often. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough thing to do because that's not how most people think of their Christian life. They say, I want to grow personally. They don't think so much about their responsibility for others. But yeah, it's something that we're trying to, uh, yeah, shape the folks in our church to think too. How's the church plant going? I, I'm a church planter. So just, you know, one church planter to another, I know it's hard. So how's it going? Yeah, I mean, it's going really good. I've been really, really encouraged by what the Lord has done. You know, probably the the thing that I enjoy the most is seeing stuff that we've prayed the Lord would do. And it seemed like, I don't know how the Lord is going to do this, but we're praying for it and to see the Lord do it. You know, stuff as simple as we wanted our church to, you know, operate like a family where people care for each other, like Scripture calls us to, and weep with each other and bear one another's burdens. And every time I see a member do that for another member, I rejoice. I'm just so grateful because I know, you know, that's not something that we as the pastors can produce with programs. That's the work of God's word in his spirit. So there are lots of really encouraging things, and there's lots of really hard things, you know. You know, with a church plant, there's some stuff maybe you have to build up to that more established church has, like, you know, everything flowing smoothly, all, you know, the ministry leaders in place. But there's other stuff you don't have to build up to, which is sin problems in the life of members. That's something that's there right away. You don't build up to that. And so there's lots of, you know, the difficulties of walking with members through difficult sin. You know, there's difficulties of walking through stuff. We had a member that we baptized die a few months later. And that's not stuff that comes from later in the life of the church. That's right away. But in spite of that, the Lord, you know, again, has been really gracious and he's doing a lot of incredible things. So, you know, it's really encouraging. It's really tough. There's lots of fruit. There's lots of hard stuff. And the Lord is gracious to kind of uh, give us as pastors strength to endure it. You see why guys give up. You see why guys get cynical. You see why guys get burned out. Yeah, and, you know, in desperate need of the Lord to give endurance and strength and joy. Uh, and he's been gracious to do it so far. One of the things that I think contributes to that kind of, uh, you know, burnout can be unexpected suffering. And one of the surprising twists in your book, I wasn't expecting to see this, but that you had this ongoing suffering with chronic fatigue syndrome. So is that still an affliction? Is that still a, a daily reality for you? Or is that a past season? It is still a, uh, a daily reality for me. It's been a part of my life for about the past 10 years. And 
it's you know up and down in those seasons. Some of the hard seasons, some seasons that weren't as bad as others. But yeah, it is still a daily reality for me. The hardest part of every part of my life, really. Yeah, the Lord has, in a lot of ways, made a lot of people's word more real to me. Uh, what it means for the Lord to be my strength, to be my refuge, uh, humbled me in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. It is still a part of my life, and uh, very much so. You mentioned the Lord being your strength as one example. I mean, I I think those things, though, we don't wish them on anybody. They tend to be profound, defining moments, defining seasons that end up having an incredible shaping experience on the leader and how they understand God, how they experience God, how they understand themselves, the humbling effect. And so, you know, I'm just I'm just wondering whether you have any other thoughts on how that form of suffering has affected the way that you have understood or experienced God or the way that you have understood or experienced yourself? Well, in terms of the ways I've experienced God, my dependence on the Lord feels different than it did before. feels less theoretical. It feels less like mental ascent and it feels more like very real. I do not have what it takes to do anything that I'm supposed to do. Like there's an actual knowing that I can't depend on my body, depend on myself. You know, I used to read plenty of passages about the Lord being our strength. It's different to me now because before I think I read it as the Lord gives me strength. Whereas now I don't have bodily strength often. It means a lot more to me to read that the Lord literally is my strength. It's not just that he makes my legs strong. It's that the Lord is holding on to my legs as I stand up. I'm not strong enough on my own to do even the things that I wish to do, much less the things that I think the Lord has called me to do. And so my dependence on the Lord uh, feels completely different. My own humility is different. I, you know, I'm still proud in many ways, but the Lord continues to to shave that down as it becomes more and more clear to me that I need him very much and that my joy cannot be tied to my ability to do things. Otherwise, my life will be a mess because there's plenty of times I think I'll be able to do something that I can't do because my body gives out on me. And so the Lord has really been challenging me a lot in the last few years about my joy being in him and not even in my ability to do the things that he's called me to do, but really in him so that my joy can be steady, even as my strength isn't. And how I experience myself, you know, it's been, it has been completely different. It's challenged in a lot of ways, even in the way that I think about my joy and how my life is going in any given moment. I cannot tie it to how well I'm doing. So it, it's been a really tough struggle. You know, it's the hardest part of every part of my life, my work and my marriage and my parenting and all of that. And the Lord has been very, very gracious to me in the midst of it. I would think a big part of it would be, you know, that you're, you know, as a younger man, you're having to reconcile the difference between what you thought life was going to look like at this age, what you thought marriage, what you thought family, how you thought your gifts would be used, the scope of which they could be used. Because I would imagine you're not able to travel the way that you would if you weren't suffering this way and or produce as much work as you would if you weren't suffering. And, you know, you've had to come to terms with that. You've had to put that before the Lord and and die to certain things, it seems. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, it is, you know, I'm a dreamer too, and I'm ambitious. 
hopefully ambitious in a godly way. But I, I'm, I'm always having dreams about stuff that I can do that would honor Jesus. And there's lots of times where the Lord has just said, no, I have something else in mind. And that has caused me to trust him in a new way. Yeah, and, and stuff does look very different than I thought it would. And it's forced me, again, to have to wrestle with what it means for me to let people down. You know, I have to let people down often because I think I can do something and my body doesn't allow me to do it. And so, yeah, it has had a profound effect on the way I think about God and myself and my joy and my ambition and all of that. And I still have a lot to learn, but the Lord has, has taught me a lot through it. It does make me a better pastor. When I talk to people about hard times, it's not theoretical for me. You know, it's something that I taste often. And I think it does make me a better pastor in many ways. So, Tripp, you mentioned that you're one of four pastors. So can you keep talking about that in the context of a team? You know, one of the convictions that we have is is that ministry is best done in the context of a team, a plurality of leaders. And so part of that is carrying each other's burdens and making up for those places where things need to be made up for. So how has God shown you his grace through the context of other men who are serving alongside of you in this in this process? That's a core value of ours, too. We started from the beginning of our church plan with three, three pastors. We, you know, tried to set aside budget early on to have pastors who can be on staff because we wanted to, to be able to have guys set aside for the Lord we provide and he has. And for us, you know, I really don't know. There's plenty of stuff. We'll sit in our pastors meetings. We'll be talking about members of the church. We'll be talking about ways to serve the church. We're going to preach through all of those things. And in all of those meetings, I think, man, if it was just me, all of this would be much worse. Uh, we wouldn't handle this situation as wisely. We wouldn't have thought about this weakness in the life of our church. We wouldn't be thinking about these things. I mean, there is, man, in the council of us four, as opposed to just one of us, the Lord has served our church much better than any just one of us could, as well as caring for one another's souls. So I'm really grateful. And, and there came a time when I realized I couldn't be a lead pastor while my health was where it was and the Lord very graciously opened the door for me and one of my best friends for the last 10 years to pastor together and to share the preaching load so that I'm preaching about a little less than half the time he's preaching a little more than half the time yeah the Lord has provided so gracious with the guys that he's given us and we see the the fruit of it and the wisdom of how I think the Lord would have us do it with the plurality of, of elders and yeah he's been really gracious Tripp, I'm going to make this my last question, but it's a really important one because I think it speaks to the guys that are listening and maybe don't have the kind of direction that you had when you were trying to move forward in ministry. And I just wanted to ask you to, you know, to talk to them for a second. Talk to a guy who's listening, who is maybe your age or a little younger and feels called to ministry, but doesn't feel like he understands or sees the pathway yet. How would you encourage him? I would encourage him to be a member of a good local church. You know, I, I've done formal theological education. My health made that difficult in some ways, but, you know, I've done formal theological education, and it is a blessing that, you know, that's something we're able to do, especially where there are plenty of places where they don't have the rich options that we have for that. But I think the primary place for us to be trained for pastoral ministry is in God's church. You know, it allows us not to think about pastoring in a theoretical way if we're learning from our pastors. Also, I've seen guys who want to plant churches 
who, once they get there, it seems pretty clear that they're not really passionate about God's church. What they were passionate about was starting something new, and they're passionate about standing in front of people talking. And a lot of those guys often, it seems like they would be good CEOs, but don't really love God's church. Whereas when we are in the midst of a local church and we are learning from leaders in that church and we hope to be affirmed and sent out by that church and where people are pouring into us, I think that's a really healthy way to be trained. And so there's a lot of stuff you can learn about yourself, people who can help you with your preaching, you know, people you can learn from. You know, I learned how to counsel in part, you know, sitting in with other pastors as they counsel. And I learned how to talking elders meeting by sitting in elders meetings just as a member learning from those pastors so i'd encourage you to be a part of a healthy local church and one where the pastors have in mind training up other guys and that can help you to discern whether or not you're actually called to be a pastor you know is that actually your heart is that your desire has god gifted you to teach his word those kind of things and where there's accountability you know i had a chance to go to a church where you know they were going to roll out the red carpet and hand me the world in a season, and I chose to go to a church where I'd be a nobody because it seemed like it would be the right place for me to be in that time where I could just sit and learn, where I could be in a situation where I could be humbled and pruned. So I'd encourage also, don't be in too much of a rush. You know, if folks want to be pastors for their entire lives, that's a lot of time. And we want to be prepared. We want to be in a good place spiritually. We want folks to be important to us in terms of our character. And we, we want to be able to start on, on good footing. So I can't say enough about surrounding yourself with the right people who you can learn from, who can help you to grow and be prepared. Yeah, and just jumping into that church and, and beginning to serve. You know, so often guys can feel like they need to immediately be expressing their gifts in a way that's satisfying or in a way that's consistent with how they think they're created when there's so much that can come out of just learning how to serve God's people. There's there's character that can be developed. There's relationship that can be built. And there's humility that's constructed within the soul as a result of doing things that you may not prefer. It's part of how God creates leaders. It teaches us in a lot of ways about some of the areas we're going to try to lead other people in serving. You know, serving with the children's ministry will serve you if you plan to lead a church one day and help people to serve in those ways. There's just a lot. I couldn't agree with what you said more. Well, Tripp, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for, for writing this book, Rise, and, you know, just for for using your influence, the influence that God has entrusted to you to make much of Jesus rather than making much of yourself. So thank you. Thank you for encouraging, brother. And thank, thank y'all for having me. Thanks, Trip. So for our listeners, just a reminder that this podcast, the Am I Called podcast, is part of a suite of services at, at amicalled.com. And you can go there and you can click on, there are dozens and dozens of free articles. And there's other podcasts with folks like Andy Crouch and Mike Horton, Tim Challies, and just a host of other people. Also, I want to mention to you to check out the Next Steps course, which is now online at the site. It's an online leadership development course. It's been loaded. It's all new content, and it's for leaders or emerging leaders that are just wondering, you know, what's the next step? 
Check it out and see if you like it and visit us next time for our next podcast. And thanks for joining us today at amicalled.com.